0: couple things there. If you are not in a gospel community, but you'd like to connect throughout this series that we're doing, we're doing these things called Quick Connect Groups. Uh, you can uh, talk to them at the Welcome Center today. They'll tell you what nights they're meeting and where people are meeting and, and that kind of thing. We'd really like to connect you during the midst of the series we're doing, being able to have you talk through the things that we are going through. So Quick Connect Groups, they're not gospel communities, but they are ways to connect. Next weekend, it just came out of the blue, is The Weekender. Uh, the Weekender is a Friday night. Here you go, Here you go. You thought the lows were all in the room. They're not, they're outside flying by. <laughs> Holy cow. If you're watching on a live stream, you can't hear that. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? Armageddon, uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so the Weekender is a Friday night, Saturday class, and we cover basic theology of what Element believes in our theology about the Scriptures and what the Scriptures teach. And then we're going to give you a little bit more about why we do what we do the way that we do it. And so and Friday night, we're going to serve you dinner. There's going to be like two sessions on Friday night. We do have childcare. We'll feed your kids as well. Saturday morning, we'll give you like a little breakfast pastry, something like that. We'll also feed you lunch, and we'll go through all the rest on Saturday morning. We have been getting out of this because we've been saying, oh, it's like 9 to 2. We've been getting at or 8 to 2. Anybody know? No? Like I know. Like I should know this stuff. They just tell me when to show up, and I just start talking. Uh, but, uh, but we've been getting out about 1230, so it's it's kind of been good, and that's not just because I talk really fast. You are able to ask any questions about element in our theology and why we do what we do throughout the midst of this, and it's kind of a great place to be able to get that back and forth a little bit. So if you're interested, you can sign up for the Weekender, I think, in your U you version and out at the Welcome Center out there. If you are new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, we do not have sermon notes like we normally do on the communion tables. What we have are these prayer booklets. And if you would like, you can grab a prayer booklet because inside the prayer booklet you will get a recap of the message that we talked through today. You will get daily devotions, just short verse question to kind of reflect on what we talk about because if you're not in a habit of spending time with God every day, this is a great way to start and build that habit. And then there are questions in there that you can talk to your friends, your family, your gospel communities about your QCGs about to be able to go a little bit deeper and remember what we talk about every single week. That's all in here. And this is why we're saying grab one. If you got one, you lost it, you can grab another one. It's okay. We actually do not have a place in here for you guys to be able to write sermon notes. So what we also have are these prayer journals. And in these prayer journals, you can open that up and you can take sermon notes in there and write things out. I am not a journaler. I tried it once when I first became a Christian years ago. I was not very good at it. That meaning I hated doing it. And... I have tried again. I've started this week and I've started trying to write in the journal. Granted, I only did it one day, but I tried and I'm going to keep trying to work on it because it actually helped me to work through some things I'm thinking about. So if you like, you can grab a per journal as well. That's a lot. stuff. I'm going to just set it right there. If you want to come and take those, you can take those right there if we run out, but they're all over the room. Uh, if you do have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You'll click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device. And in that, you will get the verses we're going through. You'll get some sermon notes. You'll get the signups to the Weekender and things like that. But you won't get everything that's in that prayer guide. But you will get some stuff to follow along with. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Psalm 143, verses 1 and 2. And it says this Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would move us to a people to understand your righteousness, that we must be a people who come to a place of confession and praise for who you are, and that you will take and move our lives in new places and new areas when we begin to trust you. So teach us to understand what it means to pray with you, to commune with you in ways that are deeper as we go each week through this series. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are doing a series on prayer. It is going to as I take us all the way to the beginning of the new year. Uh, But prayer is kind of a thing that none of us like to do out loud. Okay, we, we do, oh God, please let me have a green light, something like that. But we don't like to really do it out loud. I almost called this series, Before You Call or Before We Call, based on a verse out of Isaiah 65, verse 24, that says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And that is God speaking about Israel and redemption. But I think it's true for us that God hears us before we even know what we're going to cry out. God knows what is coming. One commentator said this. He said, God is always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And I think that's probably pretty true. And what we wanna do in this series is help us to understand prayer a little better, understand the awe and intimacy that it means we can step into with God and that we would pray more honestly, more intimately, and more openly with God Himself. Now, I told you last week that prayer really comes down to communication. The better you know somebody, the deeper your communication can become with that person. And so the better that we know God, the better our communication actually becomes. God wants that type of relationship with us. That is why God reveals Himself to us first in the scriptures through His Spirit that is all a gift of grace, and that then starts to move into a deeper encounter with Him. As a matter of fact, we have defined prayer in this series as prayer is a continuing conversation that God has started through His Word and provided by His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him, because it starts with God. We don't go on a vision quest trying to figure out who He is. God reveals Himself, and we trust that revelation of Himself. Again, multiple times last week week, I told you that to have that relationship with God, we have to come to a place where we understand who He is better. Because too often, what we will do is we will make up a God in our own minds, and we will say, this is who God must be, rather than understanding who God really is, we start to try to create God in our own image. And I know people who have left element, you probably do too, but I know people who have left element and walked away from God because God didn't agree with the lifestyle choice of theirs or relationship they wanted or even that God didn't condemn somebody that they wanted condemned and God didn't condemn them, so, oh, I don't like this. One of the biggest obstacles to true prayer is many times we are praying for what we want rather than what God desires for us. And we have to understand that too often we think God has to agree with us or He can't be God, and that is just dumb. And I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm saying that's a dumb way to live our lives. If God can't disagree with you, God is not God if you go to a church and that church has to agree with every little bizarre thing that you think, I mean, granted, we should agree on the essentials, you know, who Jesus is, the scriptures are an inerrant word of God, salvation by grace alone, yeah, close-handed issues, but open-handed things, and you think a church has to agree with every bizarre thing that you think, guys, you're never going to find a church like that, and you're always going to be bouncing around, you're never going to commit somewhere. We have to understand when it comes to God, His desires in our lives should be greater than our own desires because that is the only way to true communication with Him. And this means for us, as we pray, we must pay attention. We must read the scriptures because many times God does answer. We just fail to see how He answers. Now, last year, I took you guys to the book of Job. We did this Lenten journey, took us eight weeks. And I showed you how Job is someone who cries out to God in his frustration and his heartache and his agony and all the things that he goes through, his failure to understand all the things that are happening around him. But in all of his complaints, Job never once walked away from God. He still cried out to God in the midst of it. And Job is processing, you see throughout the book, his suffering and his pain in talking with his friends, which didn't give him great advice at all. <laughs> but And then he also prayed about it to God himself. Job had a very hard time understanding all the things that was going through his life. And so as God finally shows up to job in job's life God shows up in this whirlwind and speaks to job and as he speaks to job God doesn't answer job's questions of God why this and why that and why is that happening and and this thing and me what God does is he starts to reveal himself and God shows job how God cares about the least creature the things that we just don't even realize God cares about that and God sustains the universe from the greatest to the least God shows himself in his care for this natural world and what happens to Job from this revelation, Job stops focusing so much upon himself, he is astonished and he is humbled, and this is what he says in Job 42 verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And that's a very ancient way of saying, oh, I knew all about you, but now I understand better who you actually are. And Job finds something that is offered to every single one of us, and that is who God actually is in His person. Job, after all this pain and how God reveals himself, he says he now understands that God knows him. And that God cares about him just like he does for us. And then Job will then pray this prayer of repentance and adoration. But it comes out of knowing and understanding who God is better. And the book of Job kind of poses this question for every single one of us. And that is, is it possible that a man or a woman can come to love God for himself alone? So there is a fundamental contentment in our life regardless of all of our circumstances. And by the end of the book you see that the answer is yes. Yes, it's possible, but that only takes place through prayer. The more clearly Job saw who God was, the fuller his prayers became. And what you see is that Job moved from complaint to confession. He moves from the places where he just stops telling God all the things that's wrong with what God's doing, and he confesses what is wrong in himself, how he has run from God, the things that he has thought. He sees God's goodness compared to his own sinfulness. And so it moves him from complaint to confession. And then you see he also moves from appeal to praise, from appealing for all of these things to starting praising God for who he is in his person. Again, Job sees his sinfulness compared to God's holiness. And that doesn't leave Job in a state of despair. Today you have a lot of people who will say, oh, you can't talk about people's sins. That makes them so depressed. No, Job understood his sins, but he also understood the grace of God which leads him to a place of not focusing so much on his sins, but on God's goodness. And so Job stops praying that God would bring about the version of reality that Job wanted, and he starts to see God's righteousness, which had been on display all along. And this is what I want to do for you guys today. I'm going to help us hopefully move from a place to we go to confession and praise. We stop complaining and just simply asking for things. Not that you can't ask for things, but we move to confession and praise. As a matter of fact, I asked Michelle to specifically do songs today that don't focus upon us, but they focus on who God is. So it moves us from that place. Not that we can't sing songs where we go, God, move, change me, and all that. But today, I really wanted to focus on who God is. Because for Job, he comes to this place where he could face anything in his life because of the refinement that he went through and because of his focus on God himself. You'll see Job gets this character of extreme generosity. He He lives more like God's ambassador to the world because of the interaction of listening to who God is and trusting who God was because of how he revealed himself. And that's really what prayer is. And there's a progression. The truer Job's knowledge of God, the more fruitful his prayers became, the greater the change in his life. You guys see that? The truer his knowledge of God, the more fruitful his prayers became, the greater the change in his life. In his book on prayer, Keller writes this, the power of our prayers lies not primarily in our effort and striving or in any technique, but rather in our knowledge of God. And some people will say, yeah, but God spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. If God spoke to me out of a whirlwind, well, that would be better. I got to tell you, you have something better than Job ever had. You have the scriptures that are given to you. The conversation that God has with Job is actually written down. Do you think Job remembered all of it the rest of his life? Nope, because he's like us, totally forgetful. But in the scriptures, it is written down and you get to read it. You get to see it. We then get to see Jesus as he comes as the revealed word of God in the flesh. And we get to see what God is actually like by looking at Christ. We get something Job could only dream of. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You want to know who God is? You look at Jesus Christ. So before we ever start this whole place of prayer, we must come to a place where we understand better who God is. And we will also understand, like Job, that God loves us and God cares for us. And God does not ask us to pray to him because he needs anything from us. And so today I'm gonna give you five things. They're gonna sound very negative and I'm really sorry about that. But in these negatives, we're gonna see the positive, I think, of who God is and his glory a little bit better. These are all going to be things of we don't pray for ba-da-da-da, blah, 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 all right? They start short and they're going to get longer with each one and probably hit a little more closer to home with each one. So first one is this. We don't pray because God is lonely. Sometimes people say, oh, we got to pray because God made us because he's lonely. So that's why we pray to talk to God. No, God is complete in himself. There is not something that God is lacking that he needs us for. And if you have ever thought, oh, I got to pray so God doesn't feel all alone up there in heaven... No, that's not why we pray. God is a triune God. God has perfect community in Himself. We are made in His image as a gift, which means that we are also made for community with God and one another. We must be a people who understand the community that we long for is something that God has intrinsic to who He is. Again, too often by trying to make up a God in our own minds, we try and move that relationship away from what it's supposed to be. Relationship with God is grace and he bestows that grace upon us and communication is part of that gift. Number two, we don't pray because we think God is a tyrant and he's going to smack you with his cosmic spatula or because we think he is like us. Again, nothing lures us further away from God than not understanding who God is. By making up a God in our mind and saying, that's who God must be, we will always fail to communicate with God properly. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and in the middle of the conversation, they said, well, yeah, well, this is my truth. And we hear that a lot in our culture today, I think, oh, this is my truth. Do you understand that's a terrible way to live your life? Because think of the person on the opposite political aisle of you, like the person you just can't stand. Well, why can't that be their truth? Whatever their truth is, the thing you hate. Let's go to an extreme. Why can't Hitler's truth be his truth? Anytime we take and say truth is subjective, it's just outside of me rather than objective truth based in who God is, it is going to destroy us. We cannot live our lives thinking that my truth is just my truth. We have to understand there's a truth that is bigger than we are. And so we worship God because we see who he has revealed himself to be, not who we want him to be. Too often, again, we determine who God is in our minds. And when we do that, God either looks a lot like us and he condones every bizarre thing we want to do, or he's a tyrant and says no to everything that we want to do and we hate him. People then walk away from God, claiming that He either isn't good or doesn't exist. But by truly looking at who God is in the Scriptures, we are able to see ourselves being created by Him in love and grace. That we want to praise Him and His great name more and more because of who He actually is. This one's going to be a little bit harder. Number three, we don't pray because we think God is a vending machine. We don't pray because we're just trying to get things from him. Good dink, here's my quarter. God, I prayed for five minutes. Give me the thing, whatever I want. God is not a cosmic vending machine. And if you see him as that, like his job is just to grant you your wishes, like you go to the, the Chinese restaurant and they got the Buddha there and you walk up and you go, money, money, money. No, nobody. That's what it's, you're supposed to He's got the big old golden belly. You're supposed to go, stock pick, stock picks. Okay, whatever. If you think God's like that, you're going to try to manipulate him to get what you want. There is this concept known as a functional savior, a functional savior. And simply that means is we in our lives think something is going to fulfill us. Something is going to make my life happy. Something is going to do this. And so we strive to get that thing. And we would even go and pray to God to try and get that thing. Some people, here's an example. We do it in lots of ways, but some people have a hard time conceiving children. And when that happens, some people think, well, if I have a child, my marriage would be fulfilled. All the squabbles I have with my spouse, they, they're going to go away because we have a kid. And the harder it is to have a kid, the more they think a kid is the answer to all of their problems. And they will start to spend their resources and their emotional energy trying to get a child. Sometimes then they go to church. I'm going to be really religious. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. God will see my devotion. And when he sees my devotion, he will give me my real God, My real God, which isn't him, but it's this. Child. Sometimes people don't pray or worship Jesus for Jesus, they worship Him to get what they think He will give to them that will fulfill them, their functional Savior. And we do this with a lot of things. I will worship you, Jesus, as long as you give me this thing. Now, can children make marriage you know more fulfilling? Yes. That's not a trick question. Yes, they can. Can they also make a marriage harder? Yes. Right. Because sometimes you're like, this is my kid. They're just sweet as pie. And then you're like, who replaced my kids with these midget demons that look just like them? Right. You're like, what is going on here? Right. They can also make it harder. When we make children the center of our relationships, our relationships will suffer because children are not good gods. What we have to understand is that kids are unbelievers before they ever become believers. And so they need to hear the gospel, too. They need to hear the gospel. But we will do this in things like marriage, when people are single. Oh, God, just give me a date or a, or a spouse. I, I just want that. When I have that, I will really serve you. Oh, God, just give me that house. If I had that place to live, well, then I could really serve you. Well, why not serve him whether you get that house or not? Oh, God, if you give me that promotion at work or, or that raise, I'll have more time and more money and I can really devote myself to you. We do this with so many things. We must understand God is our source of life. We don't pray because God needs us to pray in order to ching vending machine. Okay, I got enough prayers. Here's the thing that you want. We don't pray because God is lonely. We don't pray because we think God is like us or angry with us all of the time. We pray because God is good. And if we don't understand that, we'll try to manipulate him to give us the things that we really want. This is what prayer is not, okay? Number four, this one's gonna hit a little harder. We don't pray because we think we are the most important being to God. In our culture today, you are told that you, you know, if you go to a lot of churches, it's you're the most important thing to God. You're not. You're not. And thank God that you're not. If we were more important to God than God, God would be an idolater and he would cease to be God. Let me tell you this story. I think I told you this before. When I was seven years old, we had this class discussion in public school about a soul. Uh, apparently, years ago, you could do that, and no one got fired. But a kid brought this up, and we had this Catholic teacher. It was at a public school, but it was a ca- Catholic teacher. And so she talked about who had them, what they were, what they meant. I was seven years old. We didn't really go to church. I had no idea what we were really talking about at that point. But when school was out, I remember this day because it was a little drizzly and rainy, and my brother wasn't there and because he was in, like, fourth grade. I was in second grade. And my stepdad at the time, his name was Jack, and Jack picked up me up from school. And that's how I remember this, because it's really bizarre, because he almost never did this. And so, if you brief history on my stepdad, Jack, at the time, uh, Jack was not religious at all, unless you count, like, bowling, alcohol, and cigarettes. That was his holy trinity. Okay, woo, there's God right there. Uh, he didn't really know how to handle kids that well. So I get into his car after school that day, and I go, Jack, what's a soul? And the cigarette nearly fell out of his mouth and set the car on fire, because he's like, what?! And I said, Jack, a soul. What what is this, what is a soul? And he looks at me like I'm from another planet, but the word you know, it starts spinning it in his head like what am I supposed to do with this kid? And he goes, A soul is very important. And I go, okay, great. Do I have one? He goes, oh, yes, we all, we all have a soul. So I just found out there's something I possessed that was really pretty cool. And Jack, I think, is kind of impressed with his theological knowledge at the time. And then I'm just staring at him, though, so he doesn't know what else to say. So he just starts talking again. And he goes, well, the soul is very valuable because God and the devil both want it. I'm like, the devil? How do we get to the devil? This is, this is crazy. And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's so valuable, the devil will give you anything for it. And I said, okay, but what will God give me for it? You know, because they both, you're a tough crowd. Okay. Um, He's kind of stumped. He's kind of like, I don't know. He goes, but the devil will give you anything you want. Now, Jack is raised by a pseudo-religious Catholic mother and and movies, right? Never the best combination. Really, if you see anything from a movie in Hollywood, just think Christianity is the exact opposite. But, you know, I think adults know everything. I'm seven years old. What do I know? So then he asked me this question. He goes, what do you want more than anything else in the world right now? And I know, guys, I know I should have said world peace. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm seven, and I didn't. <laughs> and, so, and so I said, I want a Max machine. Now, when I was seven years old, a Max machine was this remote-control van, and it, and it looked like the A-team's van. The A-team was very big when I was a kid. Doo, 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 you know, and I wanted to drive this van around going, I pity the fool. I pity the fool. You know, just... <laughs> I just wanted one. They're so amazing. And so Jack says, okay, well, you get a Max machine and the devil gets your soul. And I'm like, done. Let's do it. Right? He goes, but then you have to go to hell. And I'm like, oh, well, that's everything. And I go, can I play with the Max machine in hell? <laughs> and he goes, no, in hell, you just get burned with fire forever. And I'm like, I don't think I want the Max machine. <laughs> Four months later at Christmas, what does Jack get me? a max machine. I spent six years after that thinking I sold my soul for the devil for this thing. It's crazy. Okay, now, first, do you understand why proper understanding of who God is is so important? Because if not, you're going to mess up your kids. And if you don't know the answer to your question, just go, I don't know. Let's go ask somebody about that. Don't be like, well, once I saw this movie called Hellblazer and uh, this guy had pins in his head and uh, drugged your soul to hell. No, no. So, First, okay, second, God doesn't need our souls. God doesn't need our souls. The cosmic forces are not in a battle to see who gets you as if we're so important. Again, one of the major problems is we place on God these human traits. We hear so much that we are made in God's image, we try to make God in our own image. We take what we think and what we feel and place that onto God and elevate ourselves up and try and bring God low like we're so big and God's down here. That is idolatry. That is idolatry because we hear God say, you should have no other gods before me right? And, and we're like, well, that means you should have no other humans before me. No, and people, and people start to say, well, God then has unmet needs that we have to come in, these unmet needs of, of recognition and praise that He needs us for. No, He does not. Let me say it again in case you missed it. God does not need us to put God first for God's sake. He has no deficiency in His person He's trying to make up for by creating us. He didn't create us because we were lonely. God wants us to see Him first because God is already first in all things. He is first. We need to see Him first for our sake. There is no one higher, no one greater, there is no one like our God, period. There is no single thing we could give God that he does not already have. He does not depend on us. God has no birth date. God has no end date. He made everything we know and everything we don't know. He has a name and we don't even know how to pronounce it. He made us and creation. And by how everything is made, it is passing and needs God's sustaining power in order to keep it going. All creation is going to have a beginning and an end, but God does not. And creation by its nature is beautiful and wonderful and mind-blowing. And as long as we understand that it was created, we're gonna do okay. But when creation worships creation, that's when the pain starts. We are not the most important thing to God. God is. Because if we were, then He'd be an idolater and everything would fall apart. Number five. It's my last one. Ready? This one's gonna, uh i hit you. We don't pray because we think God loves us more than He loves Himself or His glory. See, In the American church, you were told God loves you more than anything. And you know what? He doesn't. He doesn't. Like, okay, there you go. Get over yourself. This is going to be good for us. The life we have comes graciously from God's hand. It is His. You know that God can take our lives whenever He wishes? We, we all have an expiration date. God just calls when it is. Some people are so irritated, like at the flood account in the Old Testament, where God you know, floods the earth, everybody dies like, how could he? Look, everybody's got an expiration date. God just said, today's everybody's expiration date. Boom, and, and, and that's it. Uh, one Jewish teaching says that every breath you take is God breathing into you. Take a deep breath. That's a gift from God right there, breathing into you. So we got to understand God and His glory is so important, or we will fail to understand prayer. Last week, I tried to move you to the place where we see that God is not just a king and we're His subjects. He's our Father and we are His kids. But we also need to understand that God is a king, that He is a king. And we are people in His kingdom. It's important for us to get that. Again, so going back to Noah's flood I talked about just a second ago, whose fault was it that the flood occurred? And before you answer, I'll just tell you, God's. It's God's fault. Many people are afraid to say that. You know who's not afraid to say that in the scripture? God. God's not afraid to say it at all. Now, he did it because of our sin, surely, but God did it. And the second question you have to then ask is is why? And the answer is God does it for his glory and his work in the world that brings about his purposes. In John chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus, he is going to die. And Jesus says these words, John 11 verse 4, It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Isn't that comforting? Someone's going to die so God can be glorified. You think of all the martyrs in the early church, all these people who died for the glory of God. In John chapter 9, there's a guy born blind. And his disciples are like, Jesus, why was this guy born blind? Because that's what religion does. It always looks for who's at fault, who's the problem in the midst of this, because a malady is punishment for something you did. And religion always wants to focus on you. That's what religion does. I can fix myself if I do the right things and do the right rituals. And that's why prayer is important, because it's not about religion. It's about relationship with God himself. Religion is about what I do. But Christianity is meant to be about Jesus and His finished work on our behalf for His glory. Religion's goal is always to try and get things from God. But true Christianity is meant to worship Jesus and His glory. John chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. As He, Jesus, passed by, He saw a man blind from birth. And His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's the question. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That guy being born blind was a work of God being done in his life. How crazy is that? There is propensity for people today to run from the fact that God is sovereign over everything. There's a theology today that's called open theism that God doesn't know what you're going to do. He's really smart, but he doesn't know what you're going to do. He waits to see so he can respond to that. Guys, no, God is sovereign over everything. People want to try and get God off the hook for things he never tries to get himself off the hook for. Let me read you a couple of verses. Amos chapter three, verse six. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? How about this? Lamentations 3.38. Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? That word bad right there in the Hebrew text is a word called ra and it means evil. Good and evil come. Now you have to understand, this is written from a lamentation perspective that the Babylonians have come in, they destroyed Jerusalem, they're looking at the waste of it all and what has happened. And in their mind, they're like, this is evil that God has allowed this thing to take place. And yet what does God do? those people who ended up in in slavery in Babylon when God still brought his people back. Those people were up there. Some people stayed and there were synagogues all over and after Jesus dies and rises from the grave, the apostle Paul goes and he goes to all these synagogues that got dispersed because of what God did here and the gospel spread so much further and faster. God is doing a work for the good. It's that people saw it as evil. But God says, I'm sovereign. I'm doing a work for my name's sake to get the gospel to go into the entire, entire world because I will save sinners no matter what God is always good and if we blame him for things we better make sure that we understand that he is the one who is actually in control we don't blame him to get ourselves or our choices off the hook and this is something we will struggle with our entire lives but it can also be the most comforting thing possible God's in charge no matter what happens in our, in our crazy political system in our country right now that just seems to be a match lit next to a thing of gasoline, it's all going to blow up and melt down. We have no idea what's going to happen. God is still sovereign and good, and He can be trusted no matter what takes place. He can still be trusted. First Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. God does everything for His glory. So should we. So should we. It is about God's strength and God's honor and God's majesty. Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, God says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. What? What? It's not because I'm so great? No. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. John Piper says this, The role of the Holy Spirit is to burn in me what He has been burning for all eternity, God's love for God. How about that? How about that? The Holy Spirit's role is to burn in me God's love for God. True prayer is only going to come about when we begin to understand that, because there's a lot of people today who are only willing to be God-centered as long as we think that God is man-centered, and that's dangerous because we are only using God to make ourselves more self-centered on our own lives. We are trying to puff up our own self-esteem. John Piper says this, God's love for his glory. God loves his glory more than he loves us, and that is the foundation for his love. That's like, how is that? If I love myself more than anything, that'd be arrogant. Because when God loves his glory more than anything else, that means God does not change. There's this word we call immutable. God is God and he does not change. And that means our salvation is secure. And that he is trustworthy no matter what. Jeremiah 17 verse 5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, because God is God first, He's not wishy-washy like we are. God is committed first to Himself, and that brings us security. God performs salvation for His own sake. He justified those called by His name in order that He may be glorified. Ezekiel 36 verses 22 and 23 Therefore say to the house of Israel This is what the sovereign Lord says It is not for your sake O house of Israel That I am going to do these things But for the sake of my holy name Which you have profaned Among the nations where you have gone God Aren't you going to save us Because we're so wonderful No I'm going to save you Because I'm committed to my glory And I said I will love you And I will continue to love you he says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. How often do we profane God's name? And why is God still good to us? Because He has made promises to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And He will not change those promises. Ephesians six tells us, that God saves us so the glory of His grace might be praised. Isaiah 43, verse 7 tells us God created a people and called them for His glory. Exodus 9, 16 tells us that God delivered Israel from slavery, that He might be declared throughout the earth. Sometimes we think, well, why did God continue to save Israel when Israel kept doing all these knuckle-headed things? And the answer, according to Ezekiel 20 and Ezekiel 36 and Isaiah 48 and 1 Samuel 8, is for His namesake, for His namesake. We went through the Minor Prophets last summer, and you see how the Israelites got thrown into Babylon. God brings those people back from Babylon. Why does He do that? Well, in Daniel nine seventeen for His name's sake. That's why. Why did God send Jesus to die for our sins to bring us back to Himself? Romans 15, verses 8 and 9, so that we might glorify God for His mercy. Guys, do you see what God does and how true he is to who he himself is? In Jesus' final hours, he has communion with the Father. John, 20, uh, John 12, verse 27, 28 says, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Guys, Christ died to glorify the Father. He dies to repair the defamation that we had brought upon God's name. When we talk about prayer, prayer is not meant to be centering ourselves on ourselves. If sometimes you pray, you feel like God is distant. Well, it might be that you're praying focused upon yourself because we're focused on us. That means we're not focused upon God. We are to stake our lives and understanding of God's commitment to being God first. If you open the Bible and you read the Bible, are you reading to try and get something for yourself first or to understand God better, to see who He is better, His glory better? The foundation and means and the goal of God's love for sinners is His prior, deeper, ultimate love for His glory, the weight of who He is because God is already first. He is already first. In Psalm 17, verse 6, the psalm writer says, I call on you, O God, for you will answer me. Give ear to me and hear my prayer. How do they know that God's going to hear their prayer? Because God had said he would hear their prayer. And God is committed to being God first. That's a standard Jewish sentiment. God hears, God knows, God cares, just like Job said. His prayers are meant to consist of more than just, "Oh God, please don't let me get pulled over because I just blew by that cop. Uh, oh God, please don't let me get fired for being at my internet on the internet at work all day. Oh God, please don't let my girlfriend be pregnant. Or if you're a girl, God, please don't let me be pregnant. Or those kind of things. You can pray about those things. I'm not saying you can't. But that should not be the extent of our prayer life. And oftentimes there are people today who will start to feel guilty. If I just, if I just love God more, well then I would surely pray more. We try to muster up all this stuff. If we just had enough emotions, well then we would start to pray more. But I would sit, submit to you that love and offer for God only comes about by better understanding who He is. There is so much garbage our culture has thrown on the name of God that we think is true and it's not. And we have to look at who He really is. Because when we understand who He is, we're going to understand better who we are and we'll pray more like Job actually prayed. In another week in this series, I'm going to talk to you guys about how prayer is not how we just jabber incessantly, you know, like, like a kid who never listens to anybody and just thinks they know everything. You, you've probably met them. If not, it's you. Um, but even in the midst of that, God still cares about us. It's not like God turns us off, but God wants us to be silent and to listen. And today, I think if we understand the majesty of God, of who he is, that will begin to change us because how could it not? If we ever hope to have a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him, we must understand who he is. We must understand who he is. If we ever want to move from complaint, which is centered around us, to confession, which is centered around him. Not that you can't complain. Two-thirds of the book of Psalms are complaints, but they keep going back to who God is. We must be also able to confess what is wrong in us. And not just everyone else around us. We must see God's goodness as compared to our sinfulness. And then we will hopefully begin to move from appeal, you know, which for all these things which are centered upon us, to praise which is centered upon Him. Again, not that you can't ask God for things. Because God's God. You should ask God for things. As I close in prayer today, I'm going to ask God to do some things in us because that's what we do. But seeing who God is moves us from trying to get things from Him to a place in our lives where we praise Him for who He is in all things, no matter what takes place, no matter what comes our way. And this is why we must understand who God is. And this is why I keep telling you the best way to understand who God is is by understanding the gospel, the good news of what God has done to rescue and save us. Because we see the clearest picture of who God is in His glory and His grace, committed to who He is first in what Jesus did to rescue and save us to bring us back to Himself. You want to see the glory of God? You look at the person of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? He did all that He did for the glory of God, as we should, as we should. And this is why every week we take us to this place of communion where you're going to break that cracker. It represents Christ's body that was broken for us. Why was Christ's body broken? So that we could be restored to God. Why? For His great name's sake. That's why. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice and it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? So that God was true to his promise to rescue and save us that he said because God is true to who he is. And so we worship God for who he is. And communion is meant to remind us of God's commitment to being God first. And in that commitment, he loves us more than any human being could ever love us. And that is what we need to understand. God doesn't love us more than anything in the world, but he loves you more than anybody else could ever love you because he is the one who deemed to save us in his great mercy because he is committed to his people because he's committed to being God first. And if we understand that, I think our prayers could open up that you know, that God is who he is. And our praise for him would just grow because we understand how stable he is. That he doesn't move in all these ways because he's so worried about what we're thinking. He he cares about us and he draws us to himself and uses all of our sin and garbage in our lives and weaves it together ultimately until this beautiful tapestry of his will. And he is good. If you need prayer today, Maybe you're in a place where I've said something. You're like, I don't understand that. God has to love me more than anything else. Or if you want someone to pray with you, uh, you can talk to uh, Justine. She's going to be at the Welcome Center. But we ha- we're having our prayers actually hang out over in the lounge across the way. So it's not awkward grabbing somebody in the back of the room. You can actually head out and grab them and ask them to pray with you. Really about anything, understanding God's glory better. Maybe you're going through something in your life. Because again, it's not that we can't appeal to God for things. But we don't just want to be people who only appeal. We want to move to the place of praise for who He is as well. So we do ask because we are a broken people in need of His rescue and redemption. So we pray. There's offering boxes next to every wall and we give because God has given so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's always a response. We see how good and great God is. And then we give because He has first given to us. And take those those booklets, go through the notes, the questions, those daily devotions. Uh, take a journal, maybe start writing things down. Maybe you get through this whole series and you got like half a page. Well, you know what? It's half a page more than you ever had to start the series. So there you go. It's something. I wrote again one day this week and, I, and it, was, it was tough because <laughs> I'm like, squirrel, stop, right? And you know, get back to that thing. Because I want to come to a place myself that sees God as more important than me in my own life. And in order to do that, many times it takes this resetting, this refocusing of who we are. And that's what I'm trying to do when I start to journal right now. Again, I'm not the greatest. I'm glad, you know, God's God because I write like a five-year-old and nobody can read it anyway. I look back and I go, I don't even know what that says, but I wrote it. God's good. God's good. Let's be a people who are to worship Him. Confess who we are. Adore who He is. Praise Him in all things. Let's pray. of this morning. We do ask that you would take in and change our mindset from having our prayers be us-focused to being you-focused because you are the one who has created all things. You are the one who has brought grace to your people because you are committed to being God first. You are the one that we worship and adore Because you are first. No matter what people in the world around us think or say, you have always been first and you will never be anything but first. And so I ask that you would then now change our hearts to live in ways that seek you first, that worship you first, that praise you first, that gives all that we are because you are, first. Throughout this series, as we get into places where we are praying and not really talking to you, just thinking of things in our own mind, God asks that you would refocus us back to you, to understanding you, that there is no one higher or greater than you. And that would move us to a place where we stop complaining so much, not that we can't, but we confess who you are and who we are, and that we would move from simply always asking for things and into a place of adoration and praise for who you are, the majestic God who has created all things, including us, and that we would glorify you with every bit of our lives. And we ask that in your son's good name. As Mark drops the curtains, What I want you guys to do, just for a moment, is think about what you have placed in your life more important than God. You might say, oh, nothing. I think there's always times and places where we move to a place where we make a functional savior for our lives. We think, if I just had that thing, I will finally feel fulfilled. I will finally have what I think I need, if I just had that. Ask God to reveal that to you, what things you are putting in the place of him in your life. And then lay that before him and say, God, I want you to be first. So teach me how to live with you being first in my life. And then come and take communion and sing a couple songs with us and head out into this world maybe with a better perspective of God being first.